newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-ling-ling, city desk, full of press, full of press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such... The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on the issues in the news media of recent days. And we're happy to have you with us as we talk about that. My name is Rex Smith. I'm editor-at-large of the Times Union. And I'm here with three terrific colleagues in the world of journalism. First, of course, Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio and a political scientist he is. We have Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist, editor, and professor. And Ira Fussfeld, longtime publisher of the Daily Freeman in Kingston and its affiliated publications. Good day to you all. The question on the table is, what should the media do with the president. As always, that has been our fixation for the last several years. But now we have Donald Trump's refusal to concede and the questions of what he's doing as president. How are the media, the multiple phases of the media, handling this and how should we be handling it? Dr. Shartok, maybe we will start with you, sir. Well, I am very concerned about this. And because I'm concerned about it, I've been looking at the way the media handles it. Now, I do notice that people like CNN and MSNBC are cutting away from the president in terms of his utterances. First of all, he isn't uttering as much. And second of all, they are not giving him the free ability to just mouth off the way that they used to. But I'm more concerned that he is going to try to pull some kind of coup. Now, it may be he never gets there, but he is certainly setting up the pieces in such a way that it looks like it's a possibility. And if the media doesn't call it, as you know, the media didn't in Hitler's time, then you have potentially a very difficult situation. Rosemary? You know, look, I don't agree with the charge that the right wing would make against Allen that he's doing this to sensationalize and bring more viewers. I don't think that's a matter that we're really grappling with how seriously to take this and how to present it. I do believe we're both on the same side as far as that goes. That said, I think there's a very small chance of Trump pulling off, no matter what he wants to do, any kind of a coup. We're seeing now increasing numbers, small, but increasing numbers of Republicans saying he's got to go. This is going to be the end of it. We're going to have a transition. It's all going to happen. And I, I think part of the role of the press has to be to keep some sort of calm and realism to this. A president in the United States cannot pull off a coup in the same way that a general in Nigeria can. And that needs to be kept in perspective. To me, the far worse problem that the media presents is on the right wing, which is vilifying the press. It's vilifying this whole process. That, to me, is more divisive and scary than the chance of a coup. Yeah, very interesting. Ira, where do you come down on this? Well, there's a lot to unpack, and, and I agree with elements of both of what Rosemary and Alan said. I, I'm a, somebody who uh, walks around in life with the glass being half uh, empty rather than half full, so I'm a pessimist by nature. I, I take what Trump is doing right now very seriously. I'm very concerned about where this might go, but this is a media show, and I, I think right now – the big media, and I put the New York Times at the top of this list, has been doing an exceptional job. We need to be reporting on what he's doing. We need to make sure that people know what may be in the offing. 
I don't know whether all of this coverage would be sufficient if, in fact, he does the worst and does think about a coup. I look at what he's done already in the Defense Department, and, you know, it's been duly reported, and much of it has been critical, but that hasn't stopped them from doing it. And I would add one other question to the mix. Let's let's presume for the sake of our sanity and for argument's sake that the transition will occur and Biden will become our next president. I think we're safe in saying that Trump is not going away. And so what will the media do then? How much should we be paying attention to him on day one when he starts campaigning for the next election? And that's something that I think we're going to be talking a lot about on this program. I'll tell you that we in the Times Union editorial board had a conversation a few days after the numbers had been called, and we had a serious conversation about should we do an editorial warning that Trump is setting us up for a coup? And we thought that we would be, oh, perhaps being uh, overly zealous and held back from doing that, notwithstanding the moves that he's making in the Pentagon and in the intelligence community. So the very fact that we're talking about it, I don't know if that is to his advantage, the president's, or not. But we thought that the responsible approach, even on the opinion pages, was to defer to just be a little bit calm about this and not go running around saying he's going to install himself as a dictator. It's a coup coming. So I think there is some level of cool-headedness that's required here after all these years. Do you not agree, Alan? No, I I think, frankly, we're all on the same side. (laughs) You know, do I think that in the end there will be a coup? No. Do I think he's making moves to make it look like he's planning a coup? Yes. Ira said it. Rosemary's concerned about what he's doing. We're all concerned about it. You know, the American democracy is going to have to speak for itself and hope that we stay where we should be. But it could be that this guy who does not want to go to jail. Now, somebody just said going away. (laughs) Yeah, he's going away. All right. And it's been very well covered by the media because this is the media show. But, you know, we know what he's done and we know that he is being looked upon by the New York State Attorney General and by Cyrus Vance, the district attorney in New York City. And we know he could really go away. So like I I think just said, you know, we got to watch what he's going to be doing. He may set up a rival network. He may set up this or that, but he may have to do it from jail. I wonder if he has Wi-Fi privileges in Otisville. (laughs) I I just want to say he's running a major scam right now, which the media has picked up on, and that is this effort to continue collecting money, supposedly for his legal defense as he contests the election. But it's actually going, as the fine print reveals, and that many media have written about, it goes to his PAC where he can reduce his debt. He's making money still. You have to donate more than $8,000 before any of it goes into a legal defense fund. It's crazy. So what should the media do with the refusal to concede? You know, there is scant evidence to support the president's claims. And if his lawyers are conceding when they have to tell the truth before a judge, no, we don't really have a case here. So given that, should news media be ignoring uh, Donald Trump's uh, claims of election fraud? Or is it newsworthy that he is making this stab at, in fact, weakening democracy. 
Yes, that is newsworthy. And so is coverage of the court cases where lawyers indeed are getting up and saying, uh, no, we don't have any evidence. And so is the postal worker who formed the basis for the complaint that Lindsey Graham made to the Justice Department, who said he saw illegal activity, postal workers changing ballots, and then recanted, and then went on YouTube and said, no, I didn't recant, that's a lie. You can see why there's huge confusion among people sympathetic to the president about what the press is doing. But in the end, don't we worry too much about what we should be doing in terms of our responsibilities to the democracy? In other words, I think Rosemary has said it, I believe it, the press should just cover the news, should cover what's happening. The question should not be asked, if we do this, will we basically help Trump or hurt Trump? Just do it and it'll all come out fine. Well, I don't know if it'll all come out fine. I agree with Alan, though, that we must cover it. We are covering it. And in fact, we're covering it differently than any other story we've ever covered in that we are constantly saying his claims are baseless and there's no sign of this and there's no sign of despite there being no sign of that. In the past, I suspect that we would have just regurgitated what he was saying and then let the public decide. And now we're pushing the public along because it's necessary that we do that. So it's a fine line. But, you know, part of the media's role in a democracy is to be a watchdog. And so if somebody is weakening that democracy by making false claims, don't we encourage that weakening by covering it, by giving it a lot of oxygen, in other words, so that the flames are fanned, creating doubt, frightening citizens just by the coverage? I think ultimately the right decision is Yes, cover it, but don't make it the lead story of the paper. Don't make it the top of the newscast. Don't make it the theme of your podcasts. But it is a hard line to figure out what the right weight is to give a story. But, of course, that's what producers and editors do all the time. I always thought that was a bogus thing, that we could hide the news by burying it, like on the bottom of the front page. We'll hide it there. (laughs) Um, Big news stories come out to people. And, Ira, I think you mentioned it leading into the show. The New York Times did a perfect example this past week of how we should be handling this. Trump is making allegations of massive election fraud. So they put a team of reporters, fanned them out, and spoke to election, even higher officials in every state. 50. That's an enormous amount of work. Anybody who's done this kind of work knows that. And talked to them and said, is there fraud? How come? How did it happen? And what they found, of course, is that there's nothing. That's exactly what the press is doing, looking at rumors and debunking them. That's great. And what can you do? Or can you do anything about those very popular Fox opinion hosts who are still going on and pretending that these shenanigans are real? Or is that just what we have to, I guess that is just what we have to put up with, yes, since we have an irresponsible outlet, Fox News, and those even further to the right of them going ahead and pretending that these notions of election fraud are real. We just have to put up with it, right? I just think this is above my pay grade because the implications of what you're describing on society are so significant, so severe. I I don't know what the answer is. They're they're obviously allowed to say whatever they want, short of calling a fire in a crowded theater. And we know that roughly half of the population in this country believes what they're saying. And so I just think the implications of that are significant. And it's ultimately going to be up to the marketplace to control what they're saying because a fewer people watch and listen, they may have to change their stance, but I don't have any hope for that in the short term. 
You know, from the very beginning, I voiced my opinion on our radio station, which I'm allowed to do, not as a representative of the station, but as a representative of me, that, you know, this is terribly dangerous. Then I would turn on CNN, and CNN would say, on the one hand, on the other hand, on the one hand, on the other hand. Then... As things got really hot, CNN took off the gloves and really gave a very forceful a series of stories about why Trump was such a threat. And if you thought that the democracy might fall, if you didn't do it, if CNN didn't do it, and if other news outlets didn't do it and dropped the cloak of objectivity, that's a very big debate. The people who need to hear that message and need to be convinced of that message are not tuning in. They're, they're watching the other outlets, the right-wing outlets, and they've been brainwashed into believing that CNN and the New York Times are not telling the truth. So how do we deal with that? I'm not sure you're right. You're right, certainly, to a degree. A lot of right-wing people are, are listening to Fox, and they go where they think they're welcome. But on the other hand, there's a fairly large group of people, large enough so that Joe Biden, in the end, is winning a rather convincing electorate over. Some people have to be watching CNN also. So I'm not so sure that you're correct in that. I think that it's not every single person who is a Trumper is watching Fox and not watching CNN. I think they do. And I think we can see the results of that. I think that they watch it, Alan, the same way that I read Breitbart and listen to the chatter on Parlay uh, to see what the other side is thinking and to mock them. I do not think they're reading it to have their minds expanded or to consider other possibilities. And I think, Rex, you've pointed to a massive problem. I don't know how to get around the absolute polarization politically that translates into media consumption these days. Right. The right-wing media has such a firm grip on the Republican Party. And these Republican senators and leaders who are playing along with all of this because they want to uh, get the coverage that will be seen by their voters, that will uh, keep the base in place. And as long as you have a media ecosystem in which particular market sectors are what guarantee the survival, the thriving, and that's the case for Fox News, keep the right. As long as you have news media acting irresponsibly like that, you're going to have this problem of people not really knowing what the truth is. Yeah, on the other hand, did you see coming that the president of the United States would be screaming about how partial to the Democrats that Fox News is? So I don't know, you know, to me, the secret of the Fox thing is the split in the Murdoch family, which we see one kid really seriously anti-Trump, the other not, not so. And we're finding in Fox's portrayal of what's going on here, some encouraging signs. And the reaction to that has been to uh, many on the far right is to also reject Fox. They're now seeing that as somehow Fox has been polluted and they're going to alternative sites that are even more, if you can believe it, right wing. With the theory also that is just emerging that Donald Trump's post-presidency business dealings will include, now it is being said, a digital challenge to Fox. Fox News sells its digital platform for, I think, five ninety nine a month. And, of course, Donald Trump has this massive base of people who have been his Twitter followers, people he can push messages out to immediately. If he were to try to convert that into a digital, call it news, put that in quotes, platform, would he be able to, as he says, crush Fox? He has talked, apparently, about wanting to crush Fox as a result of Fox seeming to be not in line enough with him.
him. So we may well see that Donald Trump will emerge as a media mogul with his goal of maybe being the next Rupert Murdoch, I guess. Can you do that from jail? That's why I asked if he'll get Wi-Fi. Isn't that a broader question? The ability in today's tech world of establishing your own flag in your own piece of media and building it into something potentially that makes it a popular threat to the traditional media is underlying all of what we talk about now. I mean, there was a time when there was no CNN and you had to get your news from the New York Times. Now look at where we are. And I've heard Rosemary reference this parlay, which I just started reading about last week. I mean, where did that come from? So yes, Trump could form a digital channel. I, the LA Times the other day had a, a story saying it's unlikely that he would go to the route of a Trump TV because TV consumption is going down and it's a very expensive proposition. But if he doesn't do that, he'll find some other way to get his word out. So Fox may well be less of a concern, if that's the right word, but somebody else is going to come in and fill the void. Yeah. For us as journalists, we need to look at some of the issues that our coverage of this presidential race raises, and some of them are the same issues that we have dealt with before. Polling that's off the mark, a voting population that defies prediction, even though we really love being able to predict the future in our broadcast and on our in our pages. So these are difficult questions, I think, going forward. Is there any likelihood after two presidential elections in which polling didn't succeed. About 3% in the national popular vote, the polling was off. Nearly 10% in some states like Iowa and Wisconsin. Do you think there's any likelihood that the media are going to make less use of polling in the coverage in years to come? If I was still editor of a newspaper, I would put out a memo tomorrow saying no stories about polling should be anywhere further in the front of the paper than page four. I think that there is room to have stories reporting what the polling is, but I think too many newspapers and particularly too many TV outlets make too much of these polls. I thought this before this election cycle. It's an easy story, but it's a very specious story to write, and it needs to be covered, but far less than it's being covered now. You give them what they want. The editors know full well that people are very interested in any kind of predictions that go on. You know, they can cover themselves by saying, well, it didn't really work the last time out. Our Capital Connection show this week is all about polling and the head of the Siena poll, the Siena New York Times poll. And there are reasons they never anticipated the kind of turnout that they got here. Uh, and we have shy, and you've said this, Rosemary, many times, we have shy recipients. We have Trumpers who won't answer the phone or who won't answer a question and may not answer it accurately. But do I think it's going to be front page news for a long time to come? Yeah. And they'll say, we got it right this time until they don't. Well, why do we keep covering it? We wouldn't do it on any other story. Media is responsible for some of this. We're we're blaming pollsters and people lying and all that. Media is to blame for this, too, because we love those polls. And we are going to keep covering it. I'm already seeing polls for who's winning in Georgia. So we're never going to get away from it. But we did not cover the failures in 2016. I've been asking for four years, what are they going to do about liars this time, about people who are hiding their participation? And I, I might say, how about black men who voted for Trump in much bigger numbers this year? They're not huge overall, but a much bigger percentage. We didn't catch that either in the polls. So why weren't we, as the media who use the polls, saying, what have you done about this? What are you doing about using phone numbers that are not landlines anymore, which no young people have? 
We didn't know. We accepted the pollster's promise that, oh, yeah, we're going to do much better this time. That was a fluke. It was not a fluke. There's some systematic changes to the assumptions they used to make. And, Alan, they didn't anticipate a big turnout. We've been talking about how it was going to be a huge turnout for much of this year. We knew it from enrollments. We knew it from excitement about people about voting. Why didn't they know it? Why wasn't that in there? And we have not covered that as a media. One thing to that part is that the, the record turnout was anticipated but they just didn't know how to predict since the most dependable polling for years has been based upon likely voters and you select likely voters based upon their voting history. We had a record turnout, so you can't really get likely voters. It makes it much more difficult. The fact is polling is so much harder for all the factors you cite, but you're right. We love it. You know, why is it that newspapers still publish the horoscope because uh, people want fortune tellers. And they so this is just like the horoscope, but we put it on the front page. I'm sorry, it's much more scientific. I don't mean to denigrate the polling industry, but it is not as dependable as we would like for it to be. Um, and if it's not as dependable, why are we giving it any air? I, I mean, I hear what we're all saying the same thing. The public likes it. But if we have questionable sources on a story and the polls now are questionable sources, we don't use them or certainly we don't but, use them prominently. But, but Ira, don't you? get it? It's the Siena New York Times poll. It's not we, they. Uh, I mean, I think this is extremely important. Uh, it's a journalistic failing all the time, and this is actually just a great bit of evidence of it, and that is that we tend to give great credence to authority whether the authority actually deserves the credence or not. That is, important organizations, the establishment often makes mistakes, but in journalism, we have a weakness for voices of authority, for those in positions of power. And we're always looking for that. And so I think that that's actually, Alan, part of the problem. When we give the imprimatur of universities and great news organizations sure. to this, we believe it, right? Absolutely, Rex. You take a look at the Quinnipiac poll, for example. Who knew what Quinnipiac was before they had a poll? It gives them tremendous ability. I worked at Rutgers University at a place called the Eagleton Institute of Politics. It was the first, I believe, of the polls in New Jersey. And they got tremendous rewards for being there every time a poll came out and their name was used in the name of the poll. You know, Ira keeps saying, why are we doing this from an ethical point of view? And of course, he's right if you were a professor. But in the case of Ira, who was a former newspaper editor, and you, Rex, and Rosemary, we all know that it gets a tremendous amount of attention, and they are not going to give it up because of an academic argument about the effectiveness it's get, or it's the getting negative the attention. There are many people in the public who do not make the distinction between the newspaper that publishes the poll results and the organization that's doing the polling. And, they, and so when they say the polls are all wrong and you guys in the press screwed it up, it's just another brick on our load at a time that our credibility is lower than it's ever been. Why do we want to foster that? You spoke about how we in the media, and you're right, love the experts, the person who can put the mark of, here it is, science, it presses right. And we've done that yes. for years. Do you see any connection between that and the current rejection of anybody in authority or with expertise? Scientists are put down, doctors are put down, you know, anybody with an opinion can counter them. Is there a connection between the two? Well, that may be a really interesting point, and it's probably going to require a scientist 
scientists to uh, <laughs> to uh, suss it out and figure out whether that is the fact that whether Americans who like to see themselves as being uh, fierce individualists are standing up and one of the reasons they're rejecting science and establishment and going for a candidate like Trump is because we in establishment institutions like the media have relied on that. And they're saying, no, I'm going to be somebody different. Very difficult to figure out. Once the forecasting season for 2024 comes around, it's going to be even harder because we won't know, will the turnout slide back? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is early voting going to continue? The forecasting is going to be even more difficult in the future. And so we should probably be even less trusting of it than we have been now. And the science of polls is going to have to get better. So, for example, we know if 150 million people show up in an election, that's very different when fewer people did because there were less of a contest going on. So somehow, either a logarithm or an algorithm or one of those things is going to have to be developed about the closer the race, the more people will turn out and what that will mean in terms of the eventual outcome. I'll bet that they do it. You know, we are poor vacuum and I'm sure by the time it's all over, we're going to know a lot more about the way polling is done and the pollsters are going to get better at it. The importance of a vacuum is right on target here, Alan, because in the absence of paying attention to polls, you're left with what? Pundits telling you what's going to happen. And so is it better to have numbers that seem to be telling you the truth that may come closer? Or do you just have, with all due respect, the roundtable panel telling us what's going to happen? You know, at least the polling numbers purport to be scientific, as opposed to commentators who are just sort of saying, well, here's what I think is going to happen. So it, it is a really difficult decision, I think, that journalistic gatekeepers, so to speak, if there is such a thing, are going to have to contend with in the next election cycle. Well, I don't know. You know, the roundtable is now one of the most popular programs on the radio. And there's a good reason for that, because nobody is saying this is what's going to happen. But there's tremendous discussion on the part of a Rosemary or an Ira or me or anybody else to say these are some of the implications. I don't think it's easy to just simply say people who are telling you what's going to happen and being wrong about it. No, I'm not trying to dissuade people from listening to the radio. I'm just saying that that numbers still have more credibility than uh, individual commentators. And that's to the extent that there are such things as gatekeepers. It's going to be hard for them to resist that. That sounds like another whole program. Another whole program. And we will get around to that one of these times. Ira Fussfeld, Rosemary Armeo, Alan Shartok, and I'm Rex Smith, with thanks especially to our producer, David Gustina, and to you for joining us again this week on the media project to work like hell just for romance but finally the movies notwithstanding they all got tired of patches on their pants the media project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC professor emeritus at the State University of New York commentator columnist and author Rex Smith is editor at large of the Times Union Rosemary Armeo is an investigative journalist and adjunct professor at the University at Albany and Ira Fussfeld is the publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman you can listen to or podcast the media project anytime at WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. Interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries for publishers must go. 
to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. <laughs>